Well, beloved, if you have your Bibles with you this morning, I invite you to turn with me once again to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We've been slowly and wonderfully making our way through this chapter. And this morning we will be, Lord willing, completing this chapter as we consider verses 50 through 58. 50 through 58. Hear now the very word of God, which is written for you and for me today. Now I say this, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound... And the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption, and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, Where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Amen. May God add his blessing to his word and join me as we pray and ask his blessing upon the reading and preaching of it. Our gracious God and heavenly Father, this is your very word to us this morning. We pray, Lord, for your spirit's work, for your great grace in our hearts and in our minds, that you would open us to see and to hear your truth, that you would open our hearts and understanding to see and to understand the wonders and the beauty of of Christ and his work. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Well, beloved congregation of the Lord, as a part of the doctrinal error in Corinth, there was denial of the resurrection of the dead by some in the congregation. The correction that Paul presented really pressed the truth and the reality of the resurrection of the dead having many facets that the saints there and us need to understand. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul has not only shown that there is a resurrection of the dead, but also what the nature of it will be. Death isn't the end. Paul has communicated some of these facets clearly as he answered the saints' questions about how the dead will be raised up, as well as with what body they will come. For the body isn't evil, as some claimed it is. It has God-given value. It's also true that there is continuity between the mortal and the immortal body. The Lord Jesus Christ was raised in the same body in which he died. 
Jesus had a physical, tangible body. Remember his calming words to his disciples in Luke chapter 24, verses 38 and 39. He asked them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? Behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. So Paul taught and enlightened us to see that while there is such continuity, there is also discontinuity in qualities of our earthly bodies and our resurrected bodies. For our mortal bodies now are earthly and natural. They are subject to weakness and death and decay. But the earthly will give way to the heavenly, praise the Lord. And we await the consummation with joy, the the resurrection and the completion of God's work of redemption. As Paul taught us, we have been born in the image of Adam and belonging to Jesus Christ. We are being conformed now and are destined to bear the full and pure image of the second Adam, Christ our Lord. Our resurrected, glorified bodies like Christ's will be spiritual, gloriously transformed, and and raised in incorruption, operating in the full power of the Spirit, fitted never to perish in heaven for all eternity. This is the kind of body that God will give all who have died in the Lord. He will raise our remains to be like His glorious body. And so now Paul concludes in our text today, giving a fuller description about how this will take place, bringing the matter to a climax in verse 57. If you'd like, make a little mark on verse 57 in your mind or in your, in your text. It's really a, a climax verse for us. And so let us be blessed as we consider the reality that we shall all be changed in verses 50 through 53, death is swallowed in victory, verses 54 through 57, as well as our call to be steadfast, immovable, and abounding in verse 58. So Paul begins to talk about how we will be changed in verse 50. He says, now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. No, beloved, that when Paul speaks of flesh and blood here, he isn't referring to sin or an unrenewed nature here. He's referring to our bodies in their mortal, natural, corrupted state. He uses the words here as he did to the Ephesians in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, when he said, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Also, the writer to the Hebrews makes mention of this even in talking about Christ sharing the same, as he says in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14. He says, "...inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood." He himself likewise shared in the same, that through death 
he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is, the devil. Remember also Paul's words here in verse 42 in the preceding context of 1 Corinthians 15. When he said, so also is the resurrection of the dead. The body is sown in in corruption, it is raised in incorruption. Really, his, his point here in verse 50 is that without new bodies of incorruption, we can't inherit the kingdom of God. We are flesh and blood, but we can't and won't remain flesh and blood in these mortal in this mortal state. This is a necessary change. The change that is coming, the change that is promised, the change that is most glorious is a necessary change. And therefore, this is all the more reason why the Corinthians, and and anyone else for that matter, must not deny the resurrection, but affirm it. And how will this take place? Well, Paul gives us wonderful details, doesn't he? Along with answering any objection regarding how what he just said can be Because there will be many Christians still alive in the world on the day that Christ returns. Some people had that type of question. They wondered, well, wait a minute. How is this going to be true if people are still alive when Christ returns as well? And so knowing some will be alive and some will be dead, how will this take place? Well, look at verse 51. Behold, I tell you a mystery, Paul says. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. See how Paul teaches us the mystery, literally a secret thing. The the counsel and the will of God once hidden, but now revealed. When Jesus returns, there will be some who are alive. But all believers, dead and alive, will be changed. This is really the question Paul addressed and answered to the, th- to the saints in Thessalonica in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. You can turn with me there if you'd like. 1, Corinthians cha- or excuse me, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, beginning in verse 13. Again, just like he didn't want Corinth to be ignorant, even as he wanted Corinth to have the answer to their questions and be crystal clear as to what would happen, He has the same mindset towards the Thessalonians. And we see this as he said in verse 13, But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as those who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first, and then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus, we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. 
How wonderful and how much of a pastoral heart Paul had towards all of God's people, even here to the Thessalonians, as he knew that they were troubled. He knew that these questions and these doubts really bothered them and it really shook them to their core. But he says, no, here's the truth. Here in detail is what's going to happen when Christ returns. This is the word of the Lord. And now hearing this and know this, comfort one another with these words. Let this be a comfort to your heart. My friends, Paul gives even more helpful detail as to what this change will be like in verse 52 of 1 Corinthians 15. And it really is a nice connection, and it's a, it's a nice connecting passage with 1 Thessalonians 4. He says in verse 52, In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. And so see here how Paul's words really add to the picture in 1 Thessalonians 4. And the timing of this and the speed of the transformation of our bodies in particular. It won't be a long or a drawn out process, beloved, but it'll be suddenly, in a moment, Paul says, in the twinkling of an eye. Think about the awesome power of our God in that work, in that work of transformation in taking our mortal bodies and making them immortal and taking the corruptible and raising them incorruptible, how when he glorifies our bodies, this is an awesome and powerful work of our God. And really, if you think about it, this is an impossible task for anybody but God. With the word of his power, he brought creation into existence from nothing. And in just a moment, he will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body. And this will be an easy change for our Lord. But see how this change is both necessary and it's easy for God. Again, why will our bodies be transformed? Well, Paul goes on in verse 53 to answer that. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, not an option, must put on incorruption. And this mortal must put on immortality. Paul really here goes on to explain why the change is necessary. And he says that it's not only so that the believer can be fit to inherit the kingdom of God, but also for another grand reason of what then will come to pass. Look at 54. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Beloved, this is a glorious verse. These are glorious six words. And this verse really is the preamble to the climax of verse 57. Remember what Paul said in verse 26, that the last enemy that will be destroyed is death. 
And so here we see more of that. Paul alludes to this truth here in verse 54 as he further assures us of the finality of death's destruction. It's not if, it will happen. Paul points us to the fulfillment of prophecy in Isaiah chapter 25, verses 8 and 9. Isaiah said, beginning in verse 8, He will swallow up death forever, and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. The rebuke of his people he will take away from all the earth, for the Lord has spoken. And it will be said in that day, Behold, this is our God. We've waited for Him, and He will save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for Him, and we will be glad and rejoice in His salvation. And may we, as His people today in this place, stand up in joy and say, Amen. We too rejoice in the salvation of our God. We are glad. This is our God. The God who swallows up death in victory. This is your God. In Hosea chapter 13, verse 14, he says, I will ransom them from the power of the grave. I will redeem them from death. O death, I will be your plagues. O grave, I will be your destruction. Pity is hidden from my eyes. The Lord does not pity death or the grave. They will utterly be destroyed. My friends, that death is swallowed up, using the language of Paul also as he used Isaiah's language, That death is swallowed up refers to it literally being consumed and destroyed. And because of this victory, Paul paraphrases Hosea 13, 14, when he says in verse 55, O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? My friends, think of this. What hurt can death do to the believer more than a bee that has lost its sting? It can do nothing. And further, the conqueror of all flesh is conquered. The spoiler of all men has been spoiled. Hades has no victory. Praise the Lord for this. And why are these things true? Paul says in verse 56, the sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. Beloved, since the wages of sin is death, if it weren't for sin, death could have no power over man. And and sin gives death such power to hurt men. But further, without the law, there could be no transgression. Matthew Poole explains it well, saying this, The law is so far from taking away the guilt of sin, that through the corruption of our natures, strongly inclining us to what is forbidden, it adds strength to sin. As Paul says in Romans chapter 7, verse 8, he says, But sin, taking opportunity by the commandment, 
by the law, produced in me all manner of evil desire, for apart from the law, sin is dead. And so therefore, again, 54 and building up into this is the preamble to this climax. This all being true, how wonderful the truth of verse 57 is. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Praise him for that. We have the victory in Christ. Jesus Christ is the victor. He is the conquering king. He is the only remedy for death. But notice that God gives us the victory through Christ our Lord. Being united to Christ, beloved, we have victory over sin and death through the death and resurrection of our Lord. And through his death, he delivered us from the guilt of sin as well as the power of sin. And he will deliver us from its presence for all eternity. Through his death, Christ conquered him who had the power of death, even the devil. How wonderful our Lord Jesus Christ is. How mighty and strong he is. How he blesses his people with his grace. With abundant life in him. And considering all of these things, therefore, what must we do? Right? Here's the indicative. Here is all the gospel truth. Here is the reality. Now, therefore, knowing that, what must you do, Christian? What must you do, believer? Verse 58, therefore, my beloved brethren. Notice Paul's tender heart, his pastoral heart here. My beloved brethren, we are all a part of the family of God. I'm in this with you together. This is what I must do along with you. But here, Corinthians, hear this. My beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Beloved, the Corinthians needed to know and we need to know and be reassured that God saved us by faith and here Paul calls us to know and persevere in the faith of the gospel. As beloved brethren with Paul and all the saints, we are to stand rock solid on the truth of Christ, being encouraged by the great hope of the resurrection. The resurrection really reframed and and really sealed up all the holes that were in this portion of uh, the Corinthian theology where they had been swayed and deceived. And he says, no, 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 now, now know this, see this glorious picture, this gospel picture of which the resurrection is an essential piece of. And now, therefore, you, you've been wavering. You, you've been failing and falling. You've been falling into error here, there, and yonder. The things that I've addressed. But here, stand rock solid on this truth of Christ. Beloved, the way that we live our, day, our lives today must be in light of that which is to come. See the, the three important actions that Paul says we must carry out. And he begins 
with being steadfast. And in being steadfast, he is referring to us needing to stand firm. Literally, the word steadfast in the Greek, it means seated, solidly based, fixed, and and well-stationed on Christ and the sound doctrine of his word. On Christ and the hope of the resurrection, a hope that really should anchor our souls. And this undoubtedly required a change in view and walk for the saints in Corinth. And it needs to be just as much of an encouragement to us today to do the same. We know the truth. We know the truth. We've heard the truth. We we are growing in the truth. But therefore, let us abide in the truth and be valiant for it. But secondly, he calls us to be immovable. In many ways, this word is very similar to steadfast. But in being immovable... This needed to be true in the Corinthians' response to temptations, to move away from the expectation of this great privilege of being raised incorruptible and immortal. And yet Christians must never be moved away from this hope of the gospel, which is our glorious and blessed hope in Christ. We must be immovable. How easy it is, though, to be moved by various deceivers, even that which wells up within us. The Apostle Peter teaches us in 2 Peter 3.14, he says, Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, without spot, and blameless. And Paul taught the saints in Colossae in Colossians 1, verses 21 through 23. And you who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. If indeed you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, And are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. The gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, the gospel of, and the gospel truth of his resurrection and the resurrection of the dead, these are things that we cannot negotiate on, beloved. We must stand firm. And not be taken away, not be lured away from standing upon the rock-solid truth that they are. But also, he says, we need to abound in the work of the Lord. Paul says that we should always notice, always, not just on occasion, not just Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays, and maybe some Saturdays. No, we must always abound in such work. And what is the work of the Lord? It is the persevering walk of the Christian life in godliness and holiness. Can we abound too much in zeal and diligence in the Lord's work when when we are assured of such glorious bliss and reward in heaven for all eternity? No. No. We must always abound. We must never be looking for the minimum, 
and only doing the minimum, we must must always abound. Paul says that we should be so grounded and abound, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Beloved, when Satan tempts you to think, just give up. Just throw in the towel. All that you're doing, all of your obedience, and what you're suffering through for Christ, it's all worthless. It's all for naught. It's vain. It's empty. What, what are you doing? Think again. Shut him out. Shut him out. And don't listen. For what you know here, like Paul said, knowing this, for what you know will keep you steadfast, immovable, and abounding as you are being faithful and God gets all the glory. I'll leave you with this. Have great confidence and joy in the great transformation and change that your Lord will bring about in your body when Christ returns. It's a necessary change. It's a good change. It's a wonderful change. And not only is it a necessary change, but it's also marvelously an easy change for God to do. And he is pleased to do it, that you would be fit for his kingdom, that you would be fit for heaven, and that it would be a glorious demonstration over the victory, of the victory over death. But give God all the praise that Jesus is the only remedy for death. Jesus is the only remedy for death. Give him all the praise that the mortal taking on immortality is a grand demonstration of Christ's victory. Indeed, may we exclaim with resounding voice, all thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And therefore, may each of you live well for Christ today. As the Corinthians needed to grow in shutting out the deceiver and his minions, as they needed to grow in being steadfast and immovable and always abounding in the work of the Lord, so do you and I. So do you and I. We too are far from perfect in standing and walking well. I want you to think about it. What are your struggles in being well-seated and not being drawn this way and that? Are you easily blown with the wind of various doctrines? May God grant us all grace to be faithful in being firm in the gospel and diligent in godly living for the glory of Christ, knowing the wonderful promise and reward that is to come from him. Amen.